I love everything about who we are as a church. I love the hunger for God's word that I see week in, week out. And I just loved the deep affection and love that I feel from my faith family that I see expressed to each other. I love hearing God's people just sing their hearts out in praise for a God who is worthy. I, man, I love being part of a church that really cares. So my teenage son went to our first members meeting, his first one, a couple of weeks ago. And he saw faith family just working things out and with unity, sharing their hearts. And there weren't tens, but there were some hard things to talk through. And it was a really good conversation. And afterwards, my son said, man, I loved it. I love seeing adults that care. Seeing people that are all, all in, that really are invested and want to see the church healthy and grow and in every way just work through things together as a family. I love that I can be real. There's several of you in this room that, man, you know my junk. <laughs> you know. Like, and that's so rare for a pastor to have other men that he can be real with and share real struggles and yet be accepted and loved. Man, I don't, I don't take any of this for granted. It is the work of God. The sense of unity that God has given to us. I just need you to know this, and probably you already do, but having a church that can be as diverse as ours, because name a church background, we have it. Mainline Protestant, charismatic, traditional, Baptist, Catholic, name one. We have members from every single possible background, and yet within that diversity to have unity, that's the work of God. That is not the work of man. Because humans and our own desires, our own flesh, will divide over these differences, and yet we are seeing God bring a real unity of purpose, unity around the gospel, around King Jesus, by his spirit, for the love of the same father, we're spiritual siblings, we're brothers and sisters, part of one faith family. And so it is God himself that binds us and keeps us united within our differences. And that is a display of the absolute glory of God. And having this unity of purpose is what I want to talk about this morning as we wrap up this series, talking about being on mission talking about a church that's on mission. So what does it look like to have the church on mission with this unity of purpose? We'll be in Romans chapter 10 as we consider these things to us, that God has entrusted to us his mission. So Romans 10, begin in verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. 
for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Profound text that I will not do it service to unpack, to exposit this text today. I wanted to have some time to have the conversation with Katie and have us think through practical ways of how we can consider being on mission globally. So I like shot myself in the foot with saying, oh, I just cut myself in half or less. But that's okay, because what we're doing all of this is, is worship. Now we're going to look at this text for a few minutes. And I want us to ask three questions specifically from this text about a church that's called to be on mission. So there's the theme, the church on mission. Question number one that we need to answer is what exactly is the mission of the church? So it's okay to throw out these buzzwords on mission, but what is it exactly? Let's define our terms. So what is the mission of the church? Let me give you a definition, then we'll unpack it briefly. The mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples. So there's this summary. The church's mission is to go into the world and make disciples and gather them into churches where they will do something. So it's make disciples, go into all the world, make disciples for Jesus gather them into churches where they will worship Jesus and in the church then also learn how to obey him for the glory of God. So there is one kind of long sentence that summarizes it. The mission is to go into all the world and make disciples for Jesus who will be gathered into churches where they will worship him and learn to grow to Obey him. And all of this is for the display of the glory of God. In Romans 10, you see, he says, If you confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he says, There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. And it continues, For everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this mission that God's given to his church is global. It is not just local. It is to lead people from all nations to come under the authority of King Jesus and to worship him as their greatest treasure. And so our mission as a church is to so enjoy Jesus, have him so delight in him, so treasure Jesus that it overflows that we can't bear the thought of people around us not knowing and not treasuring him and being far from God and being in darkness. It all starts with abiding in Christ. You abide in him and then you will bear much 
fruit. And that fruit is making disciples, being active in his kingdom. And so it starts with a love of God, and then it overflows into wanting others to experience that same salvation, which is why I've phrased the Renewal Church mission statement as we exist to see people made new in Jesus and then grow in Jesus and then be released into the world for Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Made new by him, grow in him, and be released into this planet for him. And so everything that we do as a church has to contribute to that mission. If it doesn't lead to people being made new in Jesus, I want nothing to do with it. I'm going to be super clear here. This is very important. A lot of things that we could do as a church, if it doesn't lead to people being made new in Jesus and then growing in him and being released into the world for him, then Renew Church will not partake in it. It's not who we are. There are so many things that a church can do, and we can't do all of them. A church only has limited time and resources, and so we're going to focus on the main idea. So this is who we are. This is our mission. This is our focus. Seeing people made new by Jesus and then growing in him and then being released into the world so that more people will know him and come and worship him. And this is both locally and globally. So what is the mission of the church? To make disciples for Jesus. What is number two? Second question. Well, how? How do we accomplish this mission? It's important to know what we're supposed to do, make disciples at the worship Jesus. Okay, how? How do we accomplish the mission? Well, we just read it. Verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Then how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are Sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And then you go to verse 17. It says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How do we accomplish the mission? With the gospel. That's how with this message that God has entrusted to us. This gospel is a good news message that Jesus came to live, die, rise again for the forgiveness of sin. And this gospel is what renews and it restores sinners back to God and it puts us under the reign of Christ with new hearts where we want to obey and it leads to joy in God. The gospel is what brings us home. To real life in Christ, here and now. It's the good news that Jesus came and that we have hope. And so in these verses, verse 15 is called the good news. And verse 16 is called the gospel, which means good news. And verse 17 is described the word of Christ. It's the same message. There's the emphasis. We make disciples who accomplish the mission by preaching the gospel. And he gives three steps. Now, he gives them in reverse order. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do them in order, like the logical order, because Paul does it backwards. But that's okay, because he inspired to write this. I'm just commenting on it. But 
So here's the three steps. He describes sending, preaching, and believing. But he begins with believing and works backwards. So he says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? And so that's how he ends verse 15. So he's talking about sending. So how do we have to first go and accomplish the mission with the gospel? We have to be sent. There has to be a sending. Someone has to go and do it. Someone has to be like Isaiah and says, here am I, send me. Not there he is, send him. Here am I, send me. There's this sending. How are they to preach unless they are sent? This is not even optional. God's people are a sent people. It's our identity. Jesus says, as Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. It's who we are. And then he says sending, and then secondly says preaching. He says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Someone has to be sent, and then that sent person has to actually proclaim, share the gospel. With their words, they have to actually say the good news. No gospel, no hearing, no salvation. There's no other way. Now, this is actually a really hard thing. Because I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, what about that person in some tribe somewhere in some jungle that has never heard of Jesus? They're born, live their whole lives, die, and never even heard about Jesus because they exist in the millions, if not billions. And some of you are tempted to say, well, God will reveal himself in some other way. God will somehow manifest himself, and I don't know, but God has to have a way for the innocent person to go to heaven, to be saved. Now, I have a really hard question to ask you. Is any human innocent? No. No. What convicts someone to hell? You might answer denying Christ. Denying Christ is definitely a sin. But that is not what sends someone to hell. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are condemned to hell because of our sinful nature. And it's that sinful nature that propels humans to say no to Christ. There is no innocent human being. And if you're going to try to argue or in your mind lessen this or or soften the edge or blur the line of what God's word says, how will they hear unless there is a preacher? That is from the Bible. Unless we go, they are already condemned because they're sinful humans. If you're going to argue or someone would argue, well, if they've never heard the gospel, 
then when they die, God will go easy on them because they never had a chance to reject the gospel. They never had a chance to say no. So what you're telling me is five minutes before the missionary arrived in that village, they were all already going to heaven because no one had ever heard about Jesus. The moment the missionary arrives, they start saying, there is a God, he made you, he loves you, Jesus died for you, and they hear the gospel, and then they say, no, we don't want that. Now they're going to go to hell because they have rejected Jesus. Missions becomes evil. Because you are giving people the opportunity to say no. You are better off telling no one. We're better off literally shutting up and saying nothing to anyone. Because the less anyone knows, then they're innocent and therefore will go to heaven. But does that square with the Bible? No. No. Man, I can hardly talk about these things. I've lived overseas. I've seen, I've seen what it looks like to not have Jesus and never even heard of him. They need Jesus. They need to hear. We, we cannot have this, this callous approach of God will make a way. He has made a way. It's us. He has. How will they hear unless they're sent? How will they believe unless someone preaches? They are condemned. They are lost. They're worshiping their idols. They're not worthy of their worship. They need the truth. And so we must go. There is, there's mystery here. Like you might ask, well, why? Why? Why did God allow me to be born here where I have the gospel? And why were they born in Nepal or Pakistan or Indonesia where they're never going to hear about Jesus? Why? It's not fair. It's not. This world is corrupted by sin and it's not fair. It is such an injustice. And yet... There is purpose in what he has allowed us to know the truth because we are a sent people so that we can preach, so that believing, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? They have to believe. And if they believe, then they'll be our brothers and sisters. The lost coming back to life, knowing God, sending, preaching, that leads to then believing. So there are many implications, but I, I want to keep them condensed. So I have three implications for Renewal Church. One is missional centrality. If you want a part of a church that does not have missional centrality, take this in the best possible way, but there's the door. Like, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to run you out. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I just want you to know. Missional centrality is at the heart of this church. You can call this gospel centrality, same essence there. Because the gospel is the hope for the world. Another implication for this is a missional identity. 
So not just missional centrality, but also missional identity. We are missionaries. You right now, if you're a believer, you are called to be on mission. You are a missionary. Where you work is your mission field. Where you live, where you work, where you play, where you eat, where you hang. Your normal comings and goings, your rhythms from a previous sermon in this series. We are missionaries, locally and globally, but do not deny or minimize our identity as a sent people. So we have missional centrality, missional identity, and then also a missional responsibility. We have the responsibility to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. We are called to go. And in this going, we have to embrace a paradox. We have to embrace a divine tension or a mystery. If you look at Romans 9, verses 15 and 16, God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not, hear me, it depends not on human will or exertion. But it depends on God who has mercy. God is sovereign in salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But if you read in Romans 10, verse 21, it pictures God as calling and inviting people to come to him. And he says, all day long I've held out my hands. So God has his hands open saying, come. And he says to a disobedient and contrary people, uh, people that are rejecting and saying no to God's open invitation. So you're saying, hold on a second. Is this God's sovereignty or human accountability and salvation? And the answer is yes. Embrace the paradox. If you embrace God's sovereignty over human's responsibility, you will lose the motivation to go. You'll have the mentality of, well, I don't need to go. It's already predetermined. God's going to save them with or without me, with or without you. So there's no impetus. There's no zeal to go. If you become, we might call a hyper-Calvinist, a, a overly emphasizing of God's sovereignty will rob us. And I don't have time today, but church history describes this. Uh, people that overemphasize God's sovereignty and what it did was it led to no missional fire. And yet, if you understand God's sovereignty, what it does is it gives us hope. I was able to go live overseas in a hard place because I had hope in the sovereign God, had hope that people will respond, that there are people that God has chosen that will say yes, because God is sovereign. It gives us hope. It gives us confidence as we go. There are people that will respond. But on the other hand, if you overemphasize human responsibility to God's sovereignty, you're going to go into all kinds of crazy heresy. That's where you're going to go if you overemphasize man's accountability and you minimize God's sovereignty. For example, you become an open theist where you deny that God even knows the future. You will deny that God's in control of all things. You have to embrace this. Well, God suspends his sovereignty. Really? Have you read the Bible? God never suspends 
his sovereignty. You have to embrace this man as a control of his own destiny. And then you have to carry this like impossible burden of earning your salvation, this, this burden that will crush you, that if you do a bad job sharing the gospel, that person's going to go to hell because you blew it and it's on you. I can't live with that. I can't shoulder that burden. That is God's burden to shoulder. Reaching people is not on us. Ultimately, it depends on God. But we embrace this paradox. God is sovereign, and yet we are responsible to go. And we are the means that God uses to accomplish his divine purposes. We embrace this mystery. We embrace the paradox, and we don't overemphasize one over the other. We receive both by faith. So what is this mission? We make disciples. How? With the gospel. We proclaim it boldly. Lastly, as we close, number three, where? Where do we fulfill this mission? Verse 12, we just read it. No distinction between Jew and Greek. That's Bible language for all people, everyone, the whole planet. When Jesus said, go into the ends of the earth, he was in Jerusalem. Where do you think Texas is? We are the ends of the earth. We are. When, when you go to the Middle East, you're going back to where this whole thing started. So understand that it's both local and global. It's both. And some of you in here have such a heart for local mission, and I love that, but you may want to minimize the call to go globally. And it's both. It's not either or. It is a both and yes, it's inefficient, yes, it's expensive, yes, it's hard, and yet our king told us to go. And so if you want to minimize that global call, you take it up with he who made you, redeemed you, owns you, indwells you, and is calling us to go. Because it's not one or the other, it is both local and global. We talked at length earlier in our gathering about going globally. Here, I'll close as we talk about briefly local. In our home groups this week, we're going to have a conversation on how can we be on mission right here in our neighborhoods, here in Bell County. And so if you're not in a home group, you're going to miss out. So you, you need to be in one because we're going to be on mission locally here together. And that's where our, our whole discussion this week is just focus on how are we going to do that specifically as a home group. We're going to encourage each other to be on mission with our daily lives. We're going to, by God's grace, plant more churches here in Bell County. This is what we're all about. And I'll close with rereading this profound text. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Then how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They're not beautiful because they're manicured. They're beautiful 
because they're doing God's work. They're reflecting a glorious God who came, who is the ultimate missionary and calls us to reflect him. May we be a faithful people who have been renewed for the mission.